Good morning and welcome to another beautiful day here at Five Alive. We are in Mahali, Punjab, Chandigarh area. It is getting cooler outside and we are looking forward to this holiday season. Last week we finished talking about Jesus' triumphal entry as he entered into Jerusalem. He is a king of peace riding on a donkey. The people have gathered to welcome Jesus and they're waving palm branches, laying their coats on the road, and singing to him, Hosanna. Lazarus is also again mentioned, the man who was resurrected after spending four days in the tomb. And this news has continuously spread throughout all of Jerusalem. And the people are exciting because this is going to be an interesting and incredible Passover. And that is where we are going to pick up on today's reading. But as soon as we start in today's reading, we're going to notice that there are a few characters that are looking for Jesus. And they go and they approach Philip. Now, I just want to briefly talk about this for a second before we go into today's reading. And that is, have you ever had somebody approach you because they were looking for somebody? Yes. Yeah. Can you describe? Yes. Many people would always come to me to ask me where my mom is. Why? Because I was my mom's radar. Obviously, I knew where she was at all times. Okay. And I, and I didn't know. I had to say, I'm sorry, I don't know where my mom is at. Okay. Go ahead, Mallory. They do that to me with you all the time. They're like, oh, you must be Matt's daughter. Well, where is he? Um, I think he's talking to someone, so maybe you should go check over there. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had multiple... I've definitely multiple people do it to us of where are your parents? Oh, where are your parents? Even whenever we're not with you. That one's always funny too. Uh -huh. Is like me and Addison and Mallory or just me and Addison or me by myself or out and about in town and people we know from the community and other stuff come up to us. Oh, where are your parents? Um, you do know I have a life outside of my parents, right? <laughs> like, I'm not always traveling with them. So they're not with us. They're out of town right now. They're, either they're out of town right now or... They're somewhere else in the store completely, and I don't know where they're at. Sure, sure. Aisha, at yeah. a time? I got the same experience like when you uh, went to America. So some people texted me like, how is uh, Matthew and Gula are doing? Our auntie family are doing? I said, yeah, they're doing well. And uh, did you talk with them? He said, no, no, we haven't. So I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're doing well. <laughs> Yeah, so we have these moments where people approach us because they're expecting us to know the answer of where someone is. And that's where we start off this passage of Scripture. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. We have a few guys that are looking for Jesus. And Xavier, will you read for us John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33? Now among those who went to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people unto myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. So you see at the very beginning of this passage of scripture, we have a couple of Greek people. It's all Greek to me. We have a couple of Greek people coming to Jesus or looking for Jesus, and they do it by finding Philip. So they're on a quest. And that's the first point that I want to kind of go through and look at. And it's there's the quest seeking Jesus. Notice that the Greek people want to meet Jesus. Why do you think they want to meet him? Because he raised people from the dead. Yes, definitely. They've heard of his teachings. They've heard of his miracles. The Greeks approached Philip about meeting Jesus. Why did they choose Philip of all people? They could have chose Peter. They could have chose John. They could have chose Matthew or somebody else. But why did they choose Philip? Because he's from Bethsaida. That's what it says, I believe. Maybe he was just conveniently right there. Yeah, maybe he was just conveniently right there. I don't know. There's no explanation given to us why they chose Philip. We just know that they chose Philip. Now, there are a few things that we know about Philip, and that is in John chapter 1, verse 45, that when Jesus had approached Philip, he then went to Nathanael and told him, we have found the Messiah. So he has great faith in that moment. We also know that Philip had a moment where he had a little bit of, um, let's say, doubt, if you will. And it was when Jesus is getting ready to feed the 5,000. He turns, Jesus turns to Philip and says, all these people are here. We need to fill, feed them. How should we do it? And Philip's response is, even if we had a whole year's wages, we couldn't feed all of these people. It's impossible. So we know these two things about Philip. And then now we know that some people have come into Jerusalem. They're Greek in nationality. And they look at, they're looking for Jesus. And they approach Philip saying, hey, can you take us to Jesus? So what makes people choose who they would approach about Jesus? Is it their smile? Is it because he turned to him and said, hello, they're Greek men? Is it because they felt comfortable with them? Is it because he was older than they were and they thought maybe this is a wise guy? Is it because he was from Bethsaida and they were like, oh, I can look at that guy's clothes and I can tell where he's from. And so therefore he must be close to who Jesus is. Maybe we can ask him, what are the circumstances there of why people, these people would have chose to approach Philip? I think association, these people were probably a part of the town and they, and when you're a part of a town or a community, you know who's associated with who. You begin to learn, okay, when they're coming into this store, when they're coming into this place, these people are generally associated together. Mm -hmm. So like if you come into our, our tower that we live in, you know who's going to come in and come in and come in and come out of our house. And so therefore the security guards and or uh, people in the facility that we live in begin to see people out in the community of, oh, well, you're, you're associated with so-and-so. You know, like when you go to weddings or you attend functions or you go to venues with mm -hmm. different people, then your circumference of people becomes bigger. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, well, you're, you're associated. Oh, I know that person from this, this you know, 
So sometimes it's just association. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Sometimes people approach just out of curiosity, like they're questioning, like, have you ever been going somewhere and gotten lost? And it's not that you're looking for a specific person in order to ask directions. You're just looking for directions. And the first person that you come across, you say, hey, how do I get over here? Right. It's not always. So sometimes it can feel like coincidence that the person you're talking to is the person that can actually give you directions, except for here in India. It's always uh, go ahead and then turn right. And turn left and, and do then a turn circle left. <laughs> and turn right and you'll find your destination. Yeah, yeah. Where, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Alante. Okay, go, go, keep going for straight and then turn right. And then you go straight and you turn right and then you're like, it's not here. Where do I go? So you ask the next person, oh, go keep going straight and turn right. And then you go straight and you turn right and then you come back. Next thing you know, you're doing a circle. There's no doubt. It's, it's hilarious. I've noticed though, over my 20 plus years as being a Christian, that people become jealous of those they feel like have more people coming to them and asking them about Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like what I'm trying to say is in my 20 years, I've seen people develop curriculum, a sales pitch, manuals, speak in lecture forums of how to and, and do role plays of how we can reach more people for Jesus when most of the time, Telling somebody about Jesus is something that organically happens. It just naturally is a part of a relationship process that I have with other people. Like you were just describing a second ago, Blair, if I'm going to a wedding, people automatically associate me like we were in a wedding earlier. We went to a Sangeet earlier this week and people associated us with, oh, they're from Falcon View. All the Falcon View people are over here in this part of the, of the dance hall. So we went over and we sat with the other, and yes, we recognized everybody. And some of them were even our friends and we sat down we talked with them. And then all of a sudden our influence grew, not because of who we are, but just because people were like, oh, those are the Falcon View people. So then people would come up to us and talk to us going, so you live with the groom, the groom to be at Falcon View. Well, I'm so-and-so and I live in this phase or I live in this sector of Chandigarh or of Mahali. And our influence grew, not because we went to a seminar to teach us how to be win friends and influence people. We, it's not because we went to some lecture that taught us how to be friendly and say hello to people. It was just a natural process that occurred. Why do you think people become jealous of those who are put into a natural situation that just has this beautiful testimony where Jesus is the one that we're introducing to people? Insecurity in their own selves, insecurity mm. in their relationship with Christ. There could be a, um, maybe like um, we would say sin that may be blocking them from being able to communicate something. Like maybe they feel so guilty about something that they've done in the past that they feel like they're not able to share or give input in someone else's life. Or they may be going through a situation that they're concealing and don't want people to know because then that would bring about a badness or like a bad karma, so to say. And how could I um, be friends with someone when I'm going through something so troubling? Hmm. You know, I mean, it could be a sickness. It could be a disease. It could just be um, marital problems. It could be having a, you know, a child out of wedlock. Not that these are, I mean, the, not to listen. These aren't disqualifiers. No, these are, yeah, these aren't disqualifiers of being able to talk into someone's life because when you are honest about your background and your situations that you've gone through in life, 
you never know who you will come in contact with that that will be a blessing in their life. Right. Sometimes I've noticed that people only become secure after the non-believer becomes a Christian. And then they are only secure in trying to invite them to come with them to their church. I'll give an example. There was a young man. Uh, this was almost 20 years ago. I can't believe it has been that long. But he uh, was a former Hindu. Uh, we were living in the United States. And he had um, latched on to Blair and I and became kind of like a son to us and still is to this day. He's a grown man. He's a doctor in the U.S. He's married. And and. Uh, and yet back then, when he was a teenager, 20, almost 20 years ago, uh, he came to us and would just openly discuss and dialogue with us, not because of anything special, not because, uh, you know, we had like the answers to everything and nobody else in the world did or anything like that. It was just kind of a divine appointment that the Holy Spirit brought us together with this young man. And as a result... Within a short period of time, six months or less, he all of a sudden said to me one day, he said, I don't want to follow the traditions that Hinduism teaches with the idol worship. Instead, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't want to bow down to any idols ever again. I just want to worship Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And he did. He gave his heart to the Lord. He became a follower of Jesus, and he is still to this day following after Christ with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And yet, all of a sudden, people within the community of where we lived started trying to get him to go to their church. They didn't have any care about him when he was a Hindu. In fact, when they looked at him when he was a Hindu, they shunned him. They were almost like, ooh, get that guy away from me because he's an idol worshiper. And yet when he started worshiping Jesus, then all of a sudden it was like he had this value to him that everybody then wanted to grab a hold of him and make them, oh, well, we're the ones that led him to Jesus or we're the ones that introduced him to Jesus. And this young man would be like, no, no, it was Matt and Blair that are the one. They're like my, they're like my white family. They're my white mom and dad. And, and, and even when he graduated high school, he stood up in front of his mom and dad and said, these are my white Christian parents and these are my brown Hindu parents. And I love them both. Like he just... He's that kind of guy, and, and we love his mom and dad as well as his brother and his whole family. And so, I mean, it was these, these were not trivial moments or, or problematic moments, but the problem was when people from other churches and other Christian communities started to try and grab a hold of him as if they had done something special in his life. So why, why do we do that? Why do we try and claim somebody that came to Christ from a— uh, and bring them into ourselves instead of allowing the development uh, of discipleship to continue within the format of where they came to faith at. Because I think what we do is we create a confusion inside people's hearts and inside of their minds that then makes them think it's okay to jump around from church to church or I'm not getting fed here, so therefore uh, by the pastor or I'm not getting fed by my Sunday school teacher, I'm not getting fed... Uh, the word of God by this person, this class that I go to. So therefore, it's okay for me to go somewhere else. We're kind of feeding into that a little bit when the whole time is sometimes maybe it's, you know, you're 23 years old now. Maybe it's time for you to start teaching about Jesus and not just always having somebody else be your uh, leader. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how can we curb some of this thinking or I, I think maybe it's just by having the dialogue and the discussion and admitting that this is happening. 
I don't think it's a we that can curb it. It's an mm -hmm. individual choice. Mm -hmm. Once again, it always goes back to the individual yeah. because one can ask Christ Jesus into their heart and soul and think automatically they're going to have insta fame because it's glorious because it's so exciting what's happening down deep inside of you that you think, oh man, the whole world needs to know. So you proclaim it, you live it, you shout it out from the rooftops and then within a year to two years to three years, okay, well, maybe I should write a song about it. I'm going to write a song about my testimony. And so you start singing your song. You start traveling around, sharing your testimony and, and giving it your all. And people are praising you. But it's not the vast volumes of amount of people that you desire. Mm. So then it becomes a desiring thing. And you're putting Christ Jesus back on the back burner because you're proclaiming yourself, you're proclaiming your fame, you're proclaiming that I asked you into my heart, Lord, the multitudes are to come. Yeah. But even with Jesus right there in his own town, in his own home, there were those that rejected him. Yeah. yeah. So knowing that, understanding that, and having that knowledge, when one asks Christ Jesus into your heart, there are going to be those that are going to reject you, not because of who you are, but because of what you've chosen and whom you've chosen to mm -hmm. believe. Definitely. So I don't, once again, I don't think it's a we that can automatically curb it because it, it's because social media. I think it needs to be talked about. Though. It does need yeah. to be talked about, but there is an arrogancy that comes with mm. many believers of. I don't need to read the Bible anymore because all it does is the themes repeat themselves over and over and over. And so when it's this holiday, I'm going to, I'm going to speak upon this on the Bible. When it's this holiday, I'm going to speak about this passage of scripture. So every year it's the same message over and over and over when the Bible is full of discovery. Yes. And so instead of becoming complacent in our walk with the Lord, we need to continue to know the Lord because we are born in this world and the world is ran by the, uh, the prince, the prince of this world who is Satan himself. And it's really easy to buy into the things of this world and to buy into the prince of the world without knowledge uh, of it. I yeah. mean, we can become so immune to things that we're giving our time to things of this world mm -hmm. when we could actually be a little bit more productive. Hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because that definitely goes along with what I, I, I've discovered through this whole passage of scripture. There's no doubt uh, of this, the way Jesus is speaking in the next couple of verses and the way uh, he continues to help us navigate the, the reason he died, the reason he was raised to life, the, the reason for all of these things. I, that's beautiful. Thank you. First of all, why is it we get jealous of people who are always approaching a specific person about Jesus that we wish that was us? And then kind of a follow-up to that is after the person accepts Christ, why do, we, oh, why do we shun them before they accept Christ but yet try to accept them once they have become a believer in Christ? I think it's more of a, I mean, definitely selfishness for the first one is that they haven't gotten over themselves enough yet to fully, I mean, they, they're selfish to the fact where they believe that they should only associate with Christians and all that other stuff. But then whenever they become a Christian, I think it's, uh, they want to quit. They think life's going to be easy 
And so they want... You almost said they want a quick win. Yes. You? That's what I was going to say. Okay. They want a quick... <laughs> they do. That's what... They're not going after... They don't want to do the work, but they want the story. Hmm. They want the quick and easy way to get it done. And if someone else does something and I just take this person under my wing, then I can claim I did it. Hmm. And that person who actually did the work won't get any credit for it. The person that does do the work shouldn't only be worried about getting the credit for it either because the credit should inevitably go to God. And that's what it should always be. But people who become Christians feel like they need the fame and the story has become portrayed as what a true Christian is, that they've neglected the fact that all credit should go to God. Mm. And that even in whenever we become what you could say famous, is that we should still proclaim God as having all the glory and power and the one who is in control of the situation. I mean, even thinking about it, uh, the missionary to Africa, David Livingston, mm -hmm. Dr. David Livingston, he, whenever he lived in Africa and, you know, the rhinoceros that almost trampled him and all those other crazy stories he has and leading other people to the Lord, living in a certain village, naming, not, not the Victoria Falls? Yep. Naming Victoria Falls, he, like, he has all that stuff to go behind his name. But eventually, whenever reporters came to his house in Africa and they asked him about it, he gave all the credit to God because yeah. it wasn't his doing. Right. It was God working through him that he was able to do all this stuff. And that's how things need to be in our life with Christ. But we've had bad representations and bad teachers hmm. showing us that we need to be only concerned with ourselves instead of Christ. And God to all, I mean, to God be all the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Definitely. We have it. Philip then not immediately going to Jesus. And let's, let me qualify why I don't think he immediately then goes to Jesus. And that is, remember, there's threat, threats against Lazarus and there are threats against Jesus that people are wanting to kill them. And so Philip, whether it's out of necessity to protect Jesus or whether it's just because Philip is comfortable with going and grabbing Andrew, he goes and he grabs a hold of another one of the disciples, Andrew, and together they're going to go to Jesus. Now, a little bit about Andrew is, is he's one of the first disciples that Jesus calls. Uh, Andrew also speaks intimately with Jesus. We find this in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, where it is Peter, James, and John, and Andrew that are talking to Jesus. He had been with John the Baptist and listened to John the Baptist's teachings. In that moment that Philip had a little bit of doubt of when Jesus said, hey, we have 5,000 men to, to feed, what are we going to do? And Philip didn't have the answer. Andrew was the one that went and got the boy with the five loaves and two fish and said, well, we've got this boy that has five loaves and two fish. So this is Andrew. And Andrew and Philip then together are going to go to Jesus in order to help the Greeks continue to fulfill their quest of seeking Jesus. And that's kind of the final point with the Greeks as far as we have discussion about them. Because remember, this is the end of the quest for them. We don't know anything really else about them, but that's not the that's not a problem because John's attention in this testimonial called the Gospel of John maintains its focus. And the focus is, as Xavier was just talking about, Blair was just talking about, as we are so importantly trying to stress, the focus of our own livelihood and testimonies personally is to be about Jesus. 
And that's why the Gospel of John then goes directly into the words of Jesus is because it's kind of a reflection of how our lives are supposed to be. Yes, so-and-so came to me and they were seeking Jesus and I introduced them to Jesus and these are the words of Jesus. We don't continue to talk about so-and-so. We talk about Jesus because our focus and our main thrust, our reason for existence is to proclaim the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus even starts out by saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's as soon as they, it says, and they, they went and approached Jesus about the Greeks, Jesus's response is, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Which brings me to point number two. So first we have the quest, then we have glorification. And, and to be glorified as defined by two different um, encyc biblical encyclopedias are this, God's majestic brilliance shown to the world through Israel and the church. That's what glorifying is. Another definition is to be glorified is the revelation of God that is found alone in Christ. So those are two definitions of glory or to be glorified. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 is a point of reference for one of these definitions. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sin he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and the other passage of scripture is second peter 1 16 for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty these show us the glory of who Jesus is and how he is glorified on this earth and in heaven above. However, when we think of glory, what do we think of? Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player and he received the glory of his basketball playing by getting endorsements with Nike and with Hanes underwear and with, we look at that as glory, don't we? Mm -hmm. We look at the presidential election that just took place in America and we see the way that you receive glory in order to become the next president is to win all of the votes or the electoral college. We see here in India the way to receive glory by the way our prime minister receives glory is by going and giving speeches and being put on air so that that way people are talking about him and people grow in crowds in order to hear him speak and we say that is glory and yet what we just read about jesus saying now the son of man can be glorified he's not referencing this type of glory instead he's he's referencing another type of glory and that's what we find in isaiah chapter 52 verse 13. behold my servant shall deal prudently he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high as we see Jesus referencing Isaiah 52, 13, we see him referencing the fact that he's going to be lifted up, lifted up and lifted high. He's not referencing anything about like kingship and lordship where he's going to rule and reign, but lifted up and lifted high on the cross. The glory is a bit different when we look at glory in the light of what is about to happen on the cross. It isn't pretty, but it is glory. 
Jesus then goes on to describe, it's like a grain of wheat. The grain has to break off and fall into the dirt and be buried before it can bear fruit. If the seed doesn't fall off and it doesn't get buried, it will remain alone. He then goes on in verse 25 to talk about the lovers of earthly life. If you love your life, that means you will give it up. You will die to yourself. And then he references what life in hell is going to be like. If you hate your life on this earth, you're going to keep what you hate for all eternity. And what a horrible existence that would be. The things that irritate you and frustrate you and make life so miserable for you now, that's what hell is for you specifically. Then in verse 26, he says, follow me. So he puts the things together with this. He's, Jesus is going to die. He's going to be buried. His death will be the end of an age. For after his death, worshipers of Christ can worship him anytime and anywhere. Christ will rise from the dead and gather much fruit, which is his disciples. And those whom are his disciples will die to themselves if they love their life and God, who has gifted life to them, they will lay that life down and follow Jesus as if he is their master and they are the slave or they are the servant. Wherever he goes, I go. Jesus is then very honest, and that's the third point. So we have a quest, we have glorification, and then we have Jesus's honesty. Jesus is very honest, and he says in verse 27, I am troubled because I see the prospect that I am going to die and he will for a time be separated from his triune self. He knows that his death is going to make him separated from our heavenly father. He knows that his death is going to separate him from the Holy Spirit. He knows that this is going to be three days that are going to be very hard and so he's troubled. How do you feel about Jesus admitting that he's troubled? He's human, 100% God, 100% man. He's he's afraid just as we get afraid. Is that encouraging? Absolutely. I think it's very encouraging. And he cried like, yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, this is super encouraging. It makes me like, he's glorifying himself by death. And that confuses me because that's a mystery. That is one of the mysteries of God. And so I'm like, okay, death is good. But yet, everywhere I go, I think of death as being bad, death as being stinky, death as being gross, death as being, I mean, we have zombies today, we have Dracula and Frankenstein and all these monsters that are associated with death. And yet, what Jesus says is that he's going to be lifted up and draw all men unto him in his death. His death is going to be something that's beautiful, and that, to me, is a mystery. It's, it's confusing. Yet I can cling on to Jesus is troubled because he knows he's going to die and be separated. And that encourages me in those moments when I feel so alone because I'm like, oh man, I'm troubled. And Jesus is right there with me going, that's all right, I got you. We're going to go through this together. To be glorified triunely, Jesus came to this earth. He glorifies himself. And this happens through his death on the cross. And he'll be lifted up. It's mentioned in verse 32. To be glorified triunally, God the Father is also going to be glorified. How is the Father glorified? He's glorified through Jesus' death on the cross. Verse 31 and verse 32. 
to be glorified, the Holy Spirit in this moment is going to be glorified. And how is he glorified? Because he is released upon all mankind to help draw them unto Christ through Christ's death on the cross, which means that the triune God is glorified by Jesus's death. When we think of Christ being lifted up today, I'm afraid that we think of this in a different way. I think what we think of when we say, let Jesus be lifted high and all men be gathered unto him. We think of a man on a platform who's got lots of money driving a fancy car and has a fancy house and maybe even has a fancy jet in order to get to all of his speaking places. A man who has fame or a woman who has riches and the definition of glory, exaltation and being lifted up all of a sudden makes these types of things the connotation where Jesus is not referencing that at all. Jesus is saying, when I be lifted up, I'm going to be dying. I'm going to have blood flowing from open wounds on my body. I'm going to have a crown of thorns on my head that is going to reveal blood dripping from my face. I'm going to be beaten and my back is going to be ripped open. So you're going to see muscles and sinews on my back and my maybe even his insides are going to be showing while he's on the cross. The scene of Jesus being lifted up for all men to be drawn unto him is gory, gross, and disgusting. What's a sinew? It's a piece that helps hold ligaments together, like a ligament. Yet Jesus means being placed on a cross and lifted up for all man to see suffering, God's judgment, God's condemnation, and even death. For us to come face to face with our own humanity and ugliness is to see Jesus lifted up. For us to be confronted with what we truly deserve is to see Jesus on the cross. For us to recognize the suffering that we sometimes experience just a little bit ourselves, but yet we also overtly and purposely place on others to make them suffer worse than we do. We come face to face with that when we see Jesus lifted up on the cross. Then when we see Jesus lifted on the cross, the most despicable part of us if we love life and we love Jesus, must be put to death. And as a result of death comes Christ's glory. This is the mystery of the gospel of Christ. Death equals life. Weakness is strength. Mourning like crying turns to laughter. The poor become rich. So what does the mystery of the gospel mean to you? And how does it aid you in your daily life? How often must I die to myself? Daily. Every day. Right. Every day. Do I still have disappointments and moments of selfishness and struggles in life, even if I die to myself every day? Yes. Yes. What do I do in the midst of these struggles and disappointments and selfish struggles? Repent and cry out. I follow Christ still. And I desire to fall deeper in love with him. How do I do that? I do that by meditating on his word. I do that by reading the word. I do that by praying and praying, not only meaning that I am making confession unto him and speaking all myself, only myself, but I'm also listening to him and what he has to say to me. And sometimes that means being around other people because sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through other people to me 
if I will get out of my house, out of my flat, and spend time with others. But what about those hours of guilt that I carry with me in being a Christian who messed up? What do I do in those moments? Every Christian's messed up. Can't not be a messed up Christian. I mean, before you ask Christ into your heart, you're a sinner already. You can't always be perfect. So with that, you just have to accept that you're going to mess up sometimes. But God's always there for you. And that doesn't mean to, like, if you feel in your heart that you're guilty of doing something and you ask Christ to forgive you, that doesn't mean keep going back to that same guilt over and over and over and over. You've got it. You've got to move forward in your relationship. I mean, it's like when you approach somebody and you're like, hello, hello. You know, are you going to go further in your relationship than hello? <laughs> or are you going to keep saying hello? Are you going to keep saying hello? How's you know, the weather? Hello, how's the weather? You know, so what do you think about the politics? Uh, who's your president right now? Like, those are great questions to ask, but not over and over and over. Your conversation, your relationship with someone is going to get further than hello. It's going to get further than how are you. It's going to get further than how is the weather. It's going to get further than how are your kids doing. It's going to get further than how's your husband or how's your upcoming marriage coming. How is new marriage coming? You know, there's new things in life to explore and to do. How is the festival season going for you? You know, do you feel blessed this year? Do you feel unblessed this year? I mean, those are all kinds of questions that we you keep questioning and you keep formulating to a person. You don't just keep going, you know, you invite someone over for chai or you go out for coffee and you sit there during that time and you're like, hello, hello. And then you take a sip of your beverage and then you look up at each other. Hello, hello. I mean, what a strange conversation to always keep having. You know, we've got to progress. Same thing in our relationship with Christ. We've got to progress. We, when we do feel times of frustration, when we do feel guilty for doing something, we are to confess that. We're to say that. We're to talk it out. I mean, Christ is listening. Others are listening. That doesn't mean that I go and I put it up all over my um, social media page or write a write a WordPress article on it for everybody to go out there and read and go, well, this is what I'm experiencing. Because some of the times those things are intimate. Sometimes those things are so personable that some people are like, I'm too embarrassed and ashamed to even be reading this. Like, this is personal. So there's sometimes in those personal moments that are not shared. And that's okay. That's okay. And then sometimes there's a time and a proper setting of, and a proper person to intimately talk with that you're going to be able to reveal some of those things. Yeah. Well, and I like but your description prime, of... Primetime television is not where it's at. Right. And I like your description of the hello, hello while you're having chai or you're having coffee because you're not going to sit there and just do that. But that's the way many of us pray. Mm-hmm. We, we pray, we, we say, oh, I'm going to spend today praying. So uh, when I pray, I go, hi, God, it's me again. How's, how's it going up there? How, how, yeah, how, how's it hanging? Because <laughs> down here um, is... You know, I, I have this need, and then I have this other need, and, and then, you know, I was feeling kind of weird today, and so, uh, like, I have this need. 
And Lord, okay. I, and Lord, I haven't unspoken that you know what it is, but I just don't want to tell you what it is. Yeah. Because if I tell you, then it may really, really happen. So it's unspoken. Yeah. And so, you know, it's good talking with you. Uh, see ya. Like, that's the way people pray. Yeah. And yet, or they get even more crazy about it. You know, they say, oh, Father, blessed are you. Oh, you are so great. <laughs> Father God. Father God. You are the one most high. You are the one that I worship, Father God. There is no one else like you, Father God. Oh, Father God. Be with me today, Father God. Help me, Father God. Oh, my family, Father God. Some people pray like that. And yet what? when we're talking about confession, when we're talking about intimate relationship, when we're talking about getting deeper, we're talking about getting deeper with Jesus just like you would with your spouse. Blair and I have conversations that are uber deep that there's no way I'm going to all of a sudden turn to Mallory and say, guess what mommy and I were talking about today? Because it's not for her ears. And I'm not going to turn to Aisha and say, hey, guess what we were talking about today? No, this is between me and Blair. And some of those conversations are the way we've got to have a conversation with Jesus, where we are confessing, Jesus, I screwed up. Oh my goodness, I messed up so bad and this is how I messed up and I need your strength right now because this is what happened and this is what happened and this is what I thought and this was the thoughts that were going on in my mind and I feel so ashamed that these were the thoughts in my mind and so Lord, will you help me to not have these thoughts? Will you help me to get rid of these thoughts? Will you give me the assistance to change my mind, to renew my mind? Will you allow your word to be the one that flows through my mind and not these images and not these thoughts and not these distractions and not these jealousies and not the, that's a real conversation with Jesus. First John chapter one, verse eight through 10, the apostle John addresses it a little bit and yet he does it in a way that's so loving and so touching and it is a passage of scripture that is very important, especially first John one nine is I think is something that we should all have memorized. But remember it in the context of what it says in verse eight and verse 10, Blair. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Just allow that to sink in today. Allow that word to be an encouragement for those who need to be encouragement and allow it to be a moment of rebuke for those of us who need to be rebuked. I've talked with people many times who say, I have no sin. And what did that passage of scripture right there say? If you say you have no sin, then the word of God is not in you. You are not a part of Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me where I am, there you will be. And this is exactly what he's calling us. He's encouraging us to do. Are there any other thoughts on this passage of scripture that we've read today from John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33? To go with your prayer, I mean, whenever we pray, sometimes we only focus on ourselves. Whenever prayer is not only that, but it's also listening to God and um, thanking God for all he has done, as well as telling him our needs. Because prayer isn't supposed to be all about us. Oh God, I need this. Oh God, I need this. Okay, bye. Like, we should also, in prayer, like we even whenever Jesus taught us to pray is, oh Lord Jesus, thank you for providing everything you have for me today. Thank you for this and that. And then you go through 
uh, other parts of prayer where you praise him for what he's done. Not only thanking him, but praising God for what he's done in that day or week or month. And then uh, ask him your needs and then, you know, have have a gate meeting. I told you. But praying, prayer isn't only asking God about asking God for stuff. Prayer is a conversation between us and God and where we should not only tell him everything, but also listen for what he has to say and mm. thank him for things he has done in our lives and praise him for everything he's done. Definitely. We started this day off with a quest of some Greek men who were looking for Jesus. Jesus then talks about how he is glorified and he's glorified through his death. And then we've concluded with the fact that Jesus is very honest with us. And as a result of his honesty with us, are we willing to be honest right back with him and allow our relationship to grow deeper and deeper and deeper? Father, encourage me and build up my faith today. May I die to myself and not be deceived by this world and its enticements. Strengthen me as I battle the inner jealousy battles to not look at my neighbor with covetousness. May I be raised to life in Christ and follow my master, Jesus. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that everybody will have a great day and everybody is going to be safe and that we all have a great week and we all are happy on Thanksgiving Day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.